Jim and Pam uh, happen to be uh, graduate of the same Bible college that we have graduated from. He is our ministerial overseer. He is the district overseer for this region, and they have helped us in many, many ways. Uh, their uh, wisdom has uh, come exuded out of them, and uh, he knows that Butler is the pearl of the world. <laughs> I just have to get him. <laughs> They've uh, pastored a church in Erie. They pioneered the work up there. In 1981, they went to Erie, uh, not because they were looking for a vacation, is because the call of God was on their life, and Amen. they spent their time in prayer to find out where he wanted to direct them. So they were obedient and followed. They were obedient that they lived in a tent as they started this work in Erie. They lived in a tent, a picturesque, of course, right there on, on a Walnut Creek there, and, you know, just get his fly rod going. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, serving God is a vacation, you know. <laughs> but add to it a four-year-old son. So just think about it, folks. When you see your mile one let out and they get going like here and there and you have to chase them down, just think of what it would be for a boy who is four years old and you wake up in the morning and you have a creek out there to play. Yeah. So not only they were shepherding a flock in Erie, but yet they were also shepherding their son, who ended up becoming a doctor, and who was also involved with Jim's recovery. And these folks have blessed our lives in such a great way that I am so glad to have them come to bless this church family, because you're going to receive something that is like pulling the veil back from heaven. And so with that, let's give Jim a big hand. And Pam, love you guys. Mamie? Okay. <laughs> uh, well, well, it is really an honor for us to be here, and uh, we appreciate your pastors and, and uh, what a great church this is and how faithful God has been. We just sang about his faithfulness and we celebrated with you when uh, you came into possession of this just an amazing uh, building, and we know that it's just the beginning of the great things that he has for you as a church. Uh, I want to introduce a couple of friends that came all the way down from the great city of, of Erie, Pennsylvania, and you'll recognize uh, Paul's face because in just a few minutes, we're going to be showing you a video that CBN compiled, they put together. They actually sent a crew uh, up to Maine, uh, to the hospital where I had 
my experience. Uh, and they sent a crew to Pittsburgh to interview our son, Justin, who's a de medical doctor. And then they also sent a crew uh, up to Erie. But um, as Pastor Steve mentioned, you know, whenever we obey God, uh, he always is faithful to, to support us in what he's called us to do. And we, uh, in fact, did not know a soul back in 1981 when we came to Erie. All we had was a word from the Lord. He said, move to Erie, become established, and build a great church. But God had people in the wings that he brought into our life uh, to support us in what he called us to do. And, uh, you know, none of us can do uh, what God has called us to do alone. Uh, we, need, we need Aaron and hers, and uh, we need people that will catch that vision. And two of the dearest and most faithful people that have been a godsend uh, to our life in so many ways uh, are Paul and Luana Luciano. And I just want the, them to stand, and if you <laughs> greet them today. <laughs> we're... Now, I don't know if you noticed as you drove down here to Butler, as you get closer, things get really bright. <laughs> and it's because Pastor Steve says this is the pearl of the world. <laughs> and and uh, so I, you know, I... I uh, uh, go along with him <laughs> in that. But at, but at any rate, um, <clears throat> I, I deviate here. But we're honored to have our friends with us today. Uh, Pam is going to, in just a moment, uh, follow up with a video that you're going to see, uh, this video that CBN did. Uh, to chronicle our story. But before we do that, I want to uh, give you the opportunity to pick up a, a book that we've written. It's called Let's Pray. And aren't those four beautiful kids there out front? Those are what, what we call our power team. Those are our four grandkids. <laughs> and that's an actual picture of them coming uh, into the hospital room after I was in a coma for six days and laying hands on me. And uh, our book tells our story in how God, uh, number one, changed our lives, uh, how he called us to obey him and go to a place called Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, back in 1979, we drove out there and, and lived in a tent in Tulsa, uh, getting, getting planted there, and then ultimately coming to Erie. Tells our story how we planted the church, and then ultimately the last part of the book tells about Pam walking through this six-day uh, experience and ultimately me being raised up. So this is available, I think, it's somewhere out there. It's in the lobby, it's a $10 donation for the book, and uh, you can avail yourself uh, to that. I'm sorry? Okay. All right. Well, um, I'm going to introduce my lovely wife, Pam, after, right, because I'm going to sit down after this. But I want to thank God for this woman. I want to thank God for... Uh, 
her faithfulness in so many ways, her willingness. One of the, one of the uh, stories that we tell in here is our fifth wedding anniversary. Uh, as we were journeying toward Erie, we deviated a little bit and went to Texas and spent our, our fifth wedding anniversary night in, a, in Hicko, Texas, in a tent. <laughs> and I told her, honey, you know, I, I promised you we'd make a memory. <laughs> and we did. But, uh, but, it, but at any rate, I, you know, Pam has been uh, supportive. And it's not always been easy, but she had a heart to follow hard after God. And uh, I am so grateful for her. She's the best thing that ever has happened to me after Jesus. Amen. So uh, if we could go ahead and play the video, and then I'll turn this over to you. It was a dread. It was a huge rising up of anxiety inside of my heart. I knew something was wrong. Pastor Jim Dumont and his wife Pam were visiting Jim's parents in Maine. One evening, while Jim was out for a walk, Pam had a sudden surge of fear and went to look for him. I got to the end of the driveway, and down the hill at the boat launch, I saw two ambulances and a police car, and there was my husband. No one knew what had happened to Jim. EMTs performed CPR and struggled to get a pulse. He was all purple, and his eyes were fixed like glass. They were red and yellow, and it was like, my husband, this can't be happening. Fearing the worst, Pam frantically called Paul, an elder in their church. She said, Paul, you gotta help me, I'm in trouble. Jim is laying on the road. We don't know if a car hit him, but he has no pulse, and I need you to pray, and the spirit rose up inside of me, and I said, Pam, he will live and not die. And that's according to Psalms 118, 17. He will live and not die. And he will declare the goodness of God. Meanwhile, EMTs were able to get a pulse and Jim was transported to Central Maine Medical Center. The most we knew at that point was that his heart had stopped for 12 to 15 minutes. It was a reported downtime. Uh, and that becomes important because for every minute that your heart is stopped uh, beyond a critical limit, you have decreased blood flow to all your organs, particularly your brain. And we always worry about in that setting, could there be a potential brain injury? News about Jim quickly spread. And in less than an hour, over 100 church members gathered to worship and pray. For three hours, we just praised God that no weapon formed against him would prosper. And every time throughout the day I thought about him, I, did, I quoted that verse, no weapon formed against him shall prosper, he shall live and not die. Jim was placed in a drug-induced coma while receiving hypothermic therapy to prevent brain damage. Doctors were hoping he would wake up in 36 hours, but for days he remained unresponsive to stimulation. Our son is a physical medicine rehab doctor, and he just shouted at his father, slapped his hands, slapped his feet, moved him. I mean, he worked so hard to get his dad to come up out of the coma. The event happened on a Monday and it was a Friday and he really wasn't making any sort of neurological recovery. Um, and it was pretty concerning. Each day that passes that someone doesn't wake up, we get more and more concerned. I know that their sense of fear was there. Mine was too. The church continued to believe in God's faithfulness 
despite the negative reports. No matter what we heard, the condition and that he wasn't responding, and we didn't let that bother any of us because we walk by faith. Pastor Jim has taught us that, that we walk by faith and not by what's going on. Churches galore started praying for him. A Christian radio station just let it be known that Pastor Dumont needed our prayers. Jim remained in a coma. With an uncertain future, Justin's wife and children prepared to say goodbye to their grandfather. The sixth morning at 7.30, I've been told he's got brain damage. And we said, well, you know, we should give the kids a chance to you know, possibly say goodbye to, to, to their grandfather, knowing that, you know, it may be kind of the last time they would see him. While Jim's grandkids prayed and sang to him, suddenly he opened his eyes. My son came running into the waiting room. He said, Mom, you have got to go in there. And he's coming alive, Mom. And it just was joy, unspeakable. It was a miracle before the eyes, the nurses and the technicians, they came in, tears in their eyes. We've never seen anything like it. Jim recovered quickly with no brain damage. He is grateful for the faithful prayers of his congregation and community and the goodness of God. As I look back and I see how so many people rallied and I, I, I'm humbled and I'm most thankful for, obviously, for our faithful Lord and Savior, Jesus, and, you know, because he's faithful. You don't realize how much you love somebody until you see them gone. Now, every day since, it's like a gift. Doctors determined that an artery behind Jim's heart, dubbed the Widowmaker, had collapsed and miraculously reopened. Stints were put in to prevent any further failures. Jim's speedy recovery astonished not only his family, but the medical community as well. It's really exciting to see how he's been able to return, um, you know, to his level of independence. You know, he's able to do things that, you know, we were, were just astonished that people in most of the time in those situations, we don't see that. You know, we know what we know about the, the medical part of things, but what we don't know is the, the factors outside of our control. And the power of people's faith is, is real. Don't ever underestimate the power of our resurrected Savior. The Bible says he's able to do it above and beyond what we can hope or imagine. So don't limit God. You know, I'm so grateful to how our church responded. And I, I just commended them and they said, well, you know, pastor, we just did what, what we were taught, you know? So I would say to any pastor, teach your people well. <laughs> Woohoo! amen. I've seen this video, this documentary so many times, but I still get Oh, struck by it. What we have just seen was not a healing. It was a resurrection from the dead. And in that resurrection, everything changed. And people say, well, how did this happen? What, what things occurred to make this thing happen? And my friends, I can only tell you there's two things. 
Dude, because everyone wants to know. Like someone said to me, well, you're a pastor. What about the rest of us? I went, oh, no, God is no respecter of persons. But my friends, he respects those who respect his person. Amen. That's insightful. There is a tremendous amount of power in that. And just to give you a little bit more background, I, how this thing occurred, a couple of components, is I've walked with God my whole life. I was two days old when I went to my first church service. <laughs> this is all I know. And I was this little, little girl. And Jesus was my best friend. I'd show him my pretty dress. And I'd talk to him about seahorses and daisies and sunshine. He was, he was a friend. And I, I've known him my whole life. And as, I, as we grow in life and we grow up, hello, grow up, our walk with God needs to expand as well. Too many of us settle for him as our savior, our ticket to heaven, and our fire insurance. And thank you, I'll take care of the rest myself. No, you can't. Because my friend, we live in an imperfect world with imperfect faith and dealing with a very imperfect devil. We can't go it alone. And we were never designed to go it alone. You know, they were ribbing you about falling asleep at prayer. Have you ever had a baby fall asleep in your arms? Does that not bring waves of joy through your heart? How much more our Father? How much more? <laughs> All right. <laughs> we were designed for relationship with God. Even to the point where we feel so at peace with him, we fall asleep in his presence. I love to fall asleep in the arms of God. I curl up in my pillow and I fall asleep in his arms. That is the kind of relationship that Jesus wants with us. And we tend to think we give him so much when we, we're the good guys we're here on Sunday. But there's so much more. There's so much more. And in this endeavor, in this walk with God, I wanted to hear his voice. And it's hard. You don't know if it's me. Is it the devil? Is it God? Well, there's a learning curve on hearing the voice of God. We can't get it right the first time we step out. So uh, many years ago, I said, okay, Jesus, you and me, we have a deal. If I think this is you, I'm going to obey. And if I blow it, it's going to be a good laugh between the two of us. But 
as we begin to, as I began to do that, I began to hear, this really is God. He speaks in a still, small voice, my friends. Could it be, if that's how he speaks, that's how he wants us to relate to him, to be still, to listen? And as I walked and I learned to hear the voice of God, he had, it's been remarkable. And it showed up this day. I was cooking dinner, and there was a half hour before dinner was going to be done. And Jim says to me, you know, I, I said, go out. for It's a beautiful sunny day. Come back in about half an hour. Well, dinner will be done. And, and I'm cooking, and my sweet mother-in-law has Alzheimer's. So when you start cooking, she was once a incredible cook. She comes wandering in the kitchen to help. She's a danger. She's a danger to herself and she's a danger to everybody else. So once you start cooking, you have to guard the stove. And I'm cooking and the voice of God, thank God I practiced walking with him because I would have ignored this one. I would have ignored this one because logic reason says, what am I going to do with all this hot food and this dear sweet lady? And I knew I had to go. And I didn't disobey, but I paused and I said, I'll go. You just need to protect her. I took the knobs off the stove because she started so many fires when I would turn my back in the kitchen. And I hid everything that was hot that could possibly hurt her except for one thing. I just couldn't hide that. And out the door I went. That would have been the most logical time to not obey. He has incredible health. He has maintained his health his whole life. He trained with the Navy SEALs. His health has never been an issue in our family conversation. Unknown to us was on the back of his heart. Because of his great health, it never affected him. The artery, they said, was genetically weak. We didn't know that. And so I get down the hill, and there he is. And these ambulance, and I'm going, get in the ambulance and go. Just go. They're not going. They took the mask off of them because they, they do resuscitation and you have to pause to see if there's any heartbeat or breath. When they took the mask off of them, that's when I saw his eyes. I've never seen eyes like that. They were empty. They were like glass, void of all life. I have never 
felt more alone and hopeless in my whole life. I stood at the side of the road and I did two things. I don't know how I had my phone with me. I picked up the phone and I called my friend, Paul. I know a lot of prayer people at that moment of incredible shock. I called Paul. And Paul's voice came through that phone like a spirit of faith. And it grabbed my heart and he said, you'll live and not die. And in minutes, word went out. And our church stood in faith, believing God. They would not be denied the life of their pastor. And that's the first main lesson here. We need each other. There is no way I could do this by myself. I was not fit for proper praying. I could barely function. But our church stood in faith. And they would not be denied. We need each other. And you need a church just like this. Because my friends... Trouble comes to everybody. It's just part of life. Now, some of us come up to a little obstacle and think, oh, it's a big problem. No. Others, there's big problems. But we need each other. And for years in pastoring, people would come up to me and say, uh, and they're in crisis, and they go, I can't pray. It's like, that's okay. It's hard to pray when you're in the middle of crisis, but this is our deal. And I'd make a deal with them. I'll do the praying and you do the praising. Because you can praise. And what that does is it takes your eyes off of the problem. When problem hits, you know what most of us do? We first of all blame the devil, which he needs it. But we stay there and we become victims. And there's no faith in victimization. Take authority of him and move on. He would love for you to stay. Well, the devil's after me. This is a problem. He would love that because you give him undue credit. And you strip the authority of the believer right out of your heart. The second thing is then we get into the questions of why, 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 why? The way we fight our battles is we focus in on the goodness of God. The question is, who's on your side? Is Jesus on your side? Did If God gave us the son, gave us Jesus, and he paid that terrible price, won't he give us everything else? You focus in on the goodness of God and on your deep relationship with him. And that was the second thing that occurred at that side of that road. I curled up into the arms of the dearest friend I had ever had. The Lord Jesus 
I felt like I was five years old again. He was my buddy. And the, and the only way I can describe it was I felt like a little tiny snail on the side of the road. And then the body of the snail, you can squish it with your fingers. But when trouble comes, what does it do? Curls up into its shell and it shuts the door. That's all I could do. I curled up into the best friend I had ever had and shut the door. And for six days, six long days, where there was not good news, that's where I remained. And something happened on the second day that I haven't really shared too much. But it was because I didn't quite know how to voice it. I'd been up all night long. This happened at 5 o'clock on Monday. I had 15 minutes of sleep the whole day, whole night. And there was no new, good news. We didn't know if he was dead, because he was simply on life support. And I looked at the body of my lifeless husband. And I stood there on the second day. It was about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And I planted a flag. Years ago, we had vowed that we would rather die believing God for healing than to die in doubt and unbelief. Because, my friends, it's not the healing that's important. It's not when you get into heaven, it's how you get into heaven. That's profound. It's not when, it's how. And I was standing there, and it's like the only one who could stand in faith for him at that moment between the two of us was me. And I didn't know if he was hovering. I didn't know if he was gone. But I wanted him to walk into heaven knowing that his wife was standing in faith. Because there are things that we cannot see as humans. The Bible says that a thousand years is like a day in heaven. There's a reason that scripture is there. So if you take and you use that as a somewhat of a mathematical equation, and you live to be a hundred years old, according to that formula, it's two hours of heaven's life. Yeah, you better believe it. I'm a changed woman. I have seen the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus. And there, it, I am not the same. 
So if you take that equation, our life is only two hours long in heaven. Some of us make it the whole hundred years, which is two hours. Some of us make it one hour. Some of us make it 40 minutes. But it's not how long, it's how you enter. There's another scripture in Isaiah 61. It talks about garments of salvation and robes of righteousness. Now, you want that garment of salvation because you don't enter into eternity without it. But there are those who have walked with God their whole life. They have had, they've stood firm. And they walk into heaven with robes of righteousness. At that moment, at Tuesday at 2 o'clock, I was standing on the valley of the shadow of death. That's the only way I can describe it. I made it. I planted my flag. I'm going to stand in faith. And then I looked at him and I took authority over the devil. I said, he was born in this hospital. He's not dying in this hospital. And he's not dying like this. And that was the end of my conversation with the devil. Done. That's the authority of the believer. You don't have to go on and on and on. It just takes your strength when you need to be standing, focusing on the person. The second, the, that was the second thing. The third thing. As I looked at him, and I was grateful. He had served God faithfully his whole life. Saints, you serve God faithfully your whole life. Do you know how blessed you are? And this was the fourth thing. I couldn't really describe it. And it's taken me a little bit to articulate it, and I don't even know if I really can. I was having a moment with God over the body of my lifeless husband. And I saw, from human perspective, the road of our life, and the end result is eternity. And on that road, I saw obstacles. I saw big boulders. I saw things. I knew that that was our whole ministry life. And I thought, boy, those are big boulders. But then, and I can't describe it, and I am not one to say, I have visions, and, and thus saith the Lord. I will not demean the lordship of Jesus by flippantly saying, any of those things. But at that moment, it was as if I could see from heaven's perspective back to earth that same exact road. And the view from heaven is a lot different, my friends. The struggles and the obstacles and the difficulties that we have on this earth, they're big boulders. But from heaven's perspective, they all shrunk to nothing. And one of them, I saw myself, which was a huge boulder, and I knew what it was. From heaven's perspective, it shrunk. 
And I found myself reaching down and picking it up. And as I did, I turned it over. And honestly, it was an emerald the size of my hand. I said, Lord, what is this? Now, this is a very, I, I'm standing there in a moment with God. I'm standing between life and eternity, praying for my husband, and I see this emerald. I don't know. I never got the answer, but I have a question for you. The Bible says that one day we will take off our crowns and lay them before him. Could it be? Those go into our crowns. How you fight your battles will determine how many gems in your crown. And you can't fight it alone. You can only fight it by the power of God. You can only fight it by being with him. And I, at this end of this, I looked up. And it was as if Jesus was right here. I didn't see him in my flesh, my eyes, but I've walked with him my whole life. He is ever present in time of trouble. He will never leave you or forsake you. And I thought I knew the Lord Jesus. I've walked with him my whole life. When I was a little kid, he was my friend. And I talked to him all the time. In my teen years, he became my savior. And my relationship with Jesus expanded because he's now savior. He's still my buddy. He's still my friend, but he's savior. Then I got filled with the Holy Ghost in my 20s, 21. He became Lord. It's a different and broader relationship. He was Lord. And he was Lord. And I walked into the seasons of knowledge of him. Knowledge of him is progressive, my friends. And it all comes down to how much do you want him? Right. Do we want him as Savior and ticket into heaven? He's a gentleman. He'll give you just that much. He won't go where he's not welcome. But oh, for those that welcome him and want him and walk out this path with him, he shows himself strong. And so for 20 years, he was Lord. And then I had an encounter with God that changed my prayer life it changed me. It happened on a ladder as I was decorating for Christmas. That morning I had read where Jesus had said to his disciples, could you not tarry with me one hour? And honestly, what kind of prayers do you think the disciples could have made at that moment? They didn't have full revelation of the redemption of the Lord Jesus. They weren't filled with the Holy Spirit. What could they possibly add 
to the Savior facing eternity, going into the, the work of the, rest, of the crucifixion. What possible words could these illiterate men give to the Lord Jesus? And why did he ask them, could you not tarry with me one hour? What could they add to the conversation? I'm on the ladder, and I, I had to get off the ladder. And I almost fell. I said, Lord, what could they have added? It was our companionship. It was us. He wanted the disciples to be with him. And there's a scripture in Mark that says he called the disciples to be with him. It's not that they could do all these things themselves. He called them to be with him. And I got off the ladder and I said, Lord, are you asking that of us today? Are you asking that of me today? Because in the great work of redemption, everything was done. When he came up out of the pit of hell carrying the keys of death and, and, and uh, sin with him, of hell and death and pain, it was done. But do you know that he's still doing one job? He has one work that he's still doing. He is the great high priest, ever making intercession for us. And I thought, do you want me to be with you? What could I, and this is what I had asked him, you are the great high priest. What could I possibly bring to the conversation? What could I add to the great high priest? And I said, if you want my companionship, you got it. And it changed me. And I called the season the mark. It's the fourth season of my knowledge of him. And for the next 20 years, I would wake up every morning, or almost every morning, not every morning, but a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of mornings. And I'd say, Master, your servant awaits. And my prayer life changed from this Does Jesus need a reporter telling him all the things that are wrong? Does he need someone saying, well, this child has run away and this person is sick and this marriage is in trouble? He knows it. He's well able to handle it. I would sit there in his presence and sometimes, many times, it was utter quiet but the gift of his presence was worth its weight in gold. And then there were times he was exquisitely detailed. He'd tell me, do this, 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 this. And I would do just as he said. And for years, every morning, many, many mornings, I would be in his presence. 
And it required me to push out of my thought life. Get milk, go to this store, do this, do that. Forgiveness? Oh boy, there can be no unforgiveness in the presence of God. That presence will leave so quickly. And for 20 years, that's what I did. And in the week, that six days, I'm standing over my husband's lifeless body. I thought, that's what I did. I thought this would be a terrible time to try to learn how to do this. And I focused in on the beauty and the splendor of the Lord Jesus. Every two hours for six days, they came in and tested him. They touch his eyeballs, they inflict pain. He was lifeless. Not a response. Our son did everything. He, he works at Mercy Hospital. He was on the phone with all his colleagues. Nothing. He stayed with us day in and day out. Nothing was waking him up from that coma. And the doctors got quieter and quieter. Our son and our daughter-in-law is a physician as well. They got quieter and quieter. And I knew that quiet meant something. And on the sixth morning, the, in the intensive care, there were six intensive care doctors that worked with him. Dr. Smith came in and he said, your husband has brain damage. We have to do something different. And I didn't like the different. And two and a half hours later, our four little grandchildren came in, ages four to 12. And they prayed. And they started singing. And resurrection power hit that room. It was profound. 16 doctors, two hospitals, all the nurses and EMTs are going, never have we seen anything like this. The witness was so profound to them that at the Christmas Eve, the local newspaper called the hospital and said, do you have a Christmas miracle story we could print? And the hospital said, do we have a story for you? So what are the lessons here? One, know how to pray. Know how to pray in faith. Know how to pray together. 
Stand in faith and never let it quit. Second, how much do you know the Lord? Honestly, I thought I knew him. I realize I own this much. And I have just entered into the fifth season of my knowledge of him. He is the great I am. I have seen the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus. He's there. He's real. How we take these remaining minutes. Some of us have an hour. Some of us have 22 minutes. <laughs> How are you going to spend your last minutes? How much of God do you want? You can have this much or you can have this much. He's more than Savior. He's more than Lord. He's more than healer. And for those that come close to him and want him with all their might, you will find him. I think back at all those hours. In those 20 years, I would sit in his presence. God gave me back all that time. We have time. Now, I can't read scriptures without looking. What else is there of you? Because, my friends, we only see very, very dimly. But the Bible says one day we will see him as he is. And there are parts to the aspects, the personality of Jesus that you can only experience here on this earth. You don't need a savior when you're already in heaven. You're saved. You don't need a healer while you're already in heaven. Learn everything you can about him. Spend time with him. He's precious. He's wonderful. And when we start focusing in on him, that's all that matters. And we begin to build robes of righteousness because one day we're all going to die. Lazarus was raised from the dead by Jesus himself. Is Lazarus still here? He's gone. He had to die. It's the only way we get there. We can't get there any other way. So when the troubles of life come, plant your flag in the ground. Believe God for healing. Now, many of our friends have believed God for their loved ones. 
and the outcome may have not been what you wanted. But you believe God. And your loved one is forever grateful. Faith is the currency of heaven. Because, and then you realize it really doesn't matter. How we enter into heaven is far more important. So my challenge is, are we going to waste our minutes left on earth? I tell you, this has totally transformed how I look at everything. There are no problems with God. But the ultimate goal and the thing that he's going to wonder is, were you with me? And we can be with him even in the middle of our work. We can be with him. He is so sweet and so tender. And my challenge is, is how much of them do you want? I thought I knew him. I hardly knew him. I almost shiver sometimes. I shiver a lot. When I think about what we have just seen. And the most beautiful thing in all of this is he wants you. This is the relationship he so designed for you. No two humans on the planet are ever the same. There are seven billion of us alive right now. And six billion that are not. And all those 15 billion, no two are identical. Take this little fingerprint. No two. Hello, how on earth can that be? In this little square inch, even less than that. He makes us so unique. If that doesn't say how much he loves you, how incredibly important you are, stop dwelling with your past. Look at your present and your future. For the Lord Jesus is there. And make these days count. You can lay aside the issues that so easily affect you by this doing this one thing. We all have things. Like I, I would have things I wanted to get over. Oh, I'm going to do better and break one New Year's resolution after another. But in him, it's effortless change. We are living in really 
unusual times. And only those that know their God will be strong and do exploits. And do you know what that, when, in the Amplified, what that says? Those that know their God will prove themselves strong. You can't prove yourself strong unless you have some opposition. Unless there's, as you're building your muscles, you've got to have some weight. You will prove yourself strong and remain firm. And then do exploits. We all want to do the exploits. We want to hurry through that whole scripture. We're going to do exploits in Jesus' name. But it comes on how well you know him. And how much you want him. And how much we realize how much he wants us. In my little season where Jesus was my best buddy, my friend, I talked to him about homework, and he'd give me answers, by the way. Truly. I was at, I was at um, occupational therapy school, and they gave us um, a chemistry test. And the professor said, no student has ever figured it out. I went home and I said, okay, Jesus, let's go. I walked in the next day and that professor said, no one has ever figured this out. How did you do that? Well, I have inside information. <laughs> he is for us, not against us. It's going to cost you time. But you're going to get time back. And you're going to walk in with robes of righteousness. That's incredibly important. So my challenge and my appeal to you is know him. Know him like you've never known him. The disciples were in their boat. And they had walked with Jesus. They had seen him do miracles. But when he stood and commanded the winds and the waves to cease, these disciples bowed down in the bottom of the boat and asked the question, Who are you that the winds and the waves obey you? I ask this question every day. Who are you that you would bring resurrection life to the man I love the most? Who are you? I'm searching for every scripture, every office, attribute, temperament, characteristic of the Lord Jesus. And I'm going to be greedy. I want every single one of those. I want them. But he wants us. And I'm going to close with this one thing. God thought it so important that you be born this day and age. Not 1832. 
not 1400s, not year 2050. Should the Lord tarry? And he has placed inside of you things that belong to him and him alone. And things that will only get blossomed and will bring fruition in his presence. He has deposited treasures within us that only he can nourish water and bring to fruit. Your life will be so much more full with all of those things, especially between you and him. You're not here by happenstance. You're here because he wants you. And for those who come to him and are close with him and want him with all, you will find him and you will find he will never leave you or forsake you. The Apostle Paul spent an entire life <clears throat> following after God's call upon him. And even at the end of his life, he prayed this prayer, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Amen. And he, he was still pursuing a deeper knowledge and deeper relationship with the Lord Jesus. And it, this is the first Sunday of a new year, is it not? And I think it would be an appropriate time. I know that our time is short. But this morning, I, I want to open the altar and give us the opportunity to respond uniquely in our own heart because God knows you as an individual. Uh, and perhaps there may be someone here today that you've never made that first step of knowledge uh, by inviting him into your heart to be your personal Lord and Savior. And for each and every one of us here, that pursuit of knowing him, I can't think of a better time than the first Sunday of a, of a brand new year to say, Lord, I, I, this year, my pursuit is going to deepen to to know you more intimately. And so I'm going to open the altar. I just want to invite you to come. We're not going to belabor the time. It's late. But uh, as the Lord would lead, I want to invite you to come today. And whatever business you may want to do in your own heart between him, maybe there's some things to leave behind. Maybe there's some decisions you make in your heart in regard to What's going to be different this year? With your help, Lord, that, that's the direction that I want to go. So I'm going to go ahead and open the altar. Anyone wants to join us, and when we're gathered together, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. So uh, anyone that wants to come this morning, this is between you and the Lord. This is between you and him personally. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. <clears throat> 
Oh, Father, we love you today. Thank you, Lord.